How y'all doing? Excellent. <laughs> Good to hear. Something is not working. You don't have to look far to see it. Now that we've gotten to chapter 17 of the story of God and God's people, it becomes pretty clear uh, by the middle of the Bible something has gone tragically wrong. The people of Israel, they have everything God promised, but they are still keep messing up. We see it over and over and over and over again. And it's crazy, and it makes you wonder what's going on with them. You know, what is their problem? Why are they continually doing wrong? Maybe you already know that it's not just the people in the Bible who do wrong. Because let's face it, nobody is perfect. We all get turned around from time to time. And if Israel and Judah can't get it right, then we might ask ourselves, what does that mean for the rest of us? So think about it. So far, as we've read this story about God's very own chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, we, we imagine that you know, they're going to get it all right, but they still can't keep God's covenant, even though they've committed to it. We could argue that maybe it wasn't easy for them. They lived in a crazy world. It was turbulent times. They had bad leaders. We could maybe say that about us too, right? So if you're feeling like you're in the middle of something that is going terribly wrong and you're not sure if there's a way out, then let me encourage you today that the story for Judah is not over and the story for you and I is just beginning as well. You know, during late December, in the middle of uh, all those storms, remember those? Yeah? I was uh, concerned that my snowblower was going to give out. So it was spitting, and it was sputtering, and it was barely going. I figured there was water in the gas, so I went and got some of that additive, put it in there, figured that would take care of it, but it did nothing. It continued to spit and sputter. And so I just started hoping and praying that it would keep going as long as the snow kept coming. And on one of those coldest mornings, guess what happened? It wouldn't start. No matter what I did, it wouldn't even fire. So I checked what I knew how to check, which isn't much. There was no result. I googled the symptoms, and I discovered that at the heart of the problem, the diagnosis was that it probably needed a new spark plug, right? A combustion engine, it needs a spark in order to work. So I searched long and hard to find out, where in the world is the spark plug on this thing? And finally, I did find it under all the covers around the engine, and... Uh, took it out and replaced it and put in a brand new one, and the result was amazing. It actually was. On the first pull, it fired up, it started running, it ran smooth, it had all the power that it had in the, you know, like when it was brand new. So what was needed was simply removing the old plug, right, taking that out and putting in a new one. Now, wouldn't it be great if someone could fix our problems like that? Just like take out the bad part, Replace it with a good one, and everything works fine. That'd be so awesome. Actually, it's exactly what the prophet Ezekiel said would happen. Listen to this, what he writes. He said, I will give you a new heart. Say new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Say new spirit. So Ezekiel is prophesying. I will give you, God speaking, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you. It's like the plug. Out with the bad, in with the good. So could it really be that simple? 
that the whole reason for the problems that the world faces is simply a heart problem and the solution is simply a new one? You know, it seems like we've been reading throughout uh, the story here, the Old Testament, uh, uh, where we are so far, and we, we're discovering there's signs all around that something is definitely wrong, right? Something's definitely wrong. In chapter 17, there's a new king that follows the good king Hezekiah. You know, if you remember, Hezekiah had established all these reforms to bring Judah back to God, and, and things were going pretty good. Israel was back on track, but like, like it happens over and over and over in our readings, the, the good king's efforts are all dismantled by the next king. And the Bible says that King Manasseh led the Israel astray, so they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Now that's, that's pretty awful, actually, because some of those other ones had done really, really poor, really bad things. And now they're even, the Israelites are even worse than the nations before them. So how bad can it be? Well, we read on page 231 as it describes in 2 Kings 21. The king, he rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to, ba- to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. Now, if you remember King Ahab, he was a really awful king. And they had all these idols that they worshipped and... Uh, Elijah came along and had this powerful demonstration of, of God's power, and the people turned back to God for a brief moment, and now all this stuff is coming back. It says the king bowed down to all the starry host and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord he built altars to the starry host. Now imagine this. A sanctuary built, a temple built just for God, for the one true God. And now they're putting idols within that sanctuary to all these other gods. It's craziness. It says he sacrificed his own son in the fire. Child sacrifice. It would never have even crossed the mind of God to offer human sacrifices. It was completely off the list. And yet, this is what he was doing. The king practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger, arousing God's anger. I don't know, it doesn't really get much worse than this. It says King Manasseh spilled so much innocent blood that it filled Jerusalem from end to end. That's awful. So he completely has turned away from God. Everything... He's opposing everything that is in the covenant of the law. So the question is, why? Why does all this happen? Well, the answer, something is terribly wrong with God's people. We have to ask the question, you know, we we probably do in other forms ourselves. You know, maybe it comes out like, is there more to life than this? Maybe we ask the question, you know, what is the meaning of life? And if we go a little further even into that, and we discover God's upper story plan, how to get God's people back, and then we might ask, well, what can we expect in life when we don't actually align our lives with God's upper story plan? Well, what can we expect? Let's see what happens to King Manasseh. You know, oftentimes we want to answer those questions with our own ideas about things. There was a highly esteemed third grade teacher in elementary school in a small, rural, upper Midwest town with no name that wanted to prepare students for an important placement exam. 
The teacher decided to uh, do a little practice exam to help them. So the exam had 20 questions. One of the questions, list in order the four seasons. So the results were actually a bit unexpected. Two-thirds of the third graders listed the seasons like this. Duck season, pheasant season, deer season, and finally, spring fishing opener. So well, that's, that's one way, right, to look at the seasons. You know, we also have our own ideas about the Bible. Here are some answers from an off-the-street uh, Bible quiz. Some people thought that an epistle is the wife of an apostle. Some, be- <laughs> some believed one of the Ten Commandments is freedom of speech. Others listed the Gospels as Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. Now, maybe you're thinking, that sounds about right to me. Well, po- possibly. But, uh, you know, I-, I never read the Bible until I was 24 years old. And then when I read the Bible, that one had pictures in it. So when it comes to God's upper story theme, you know, we can easily get confused. Even if we're familiar with God's story, you know, we have the Old Testament and the covenants and the, all the unfaithfulness of God's people. Then we see God's judgment and God's wrath. And then the New Testament comes along and it talks about forgiveness and grace. And you might wonder, like many of us, you know, what is God's purpose here? Is it judgment? Is it grace? How are we supposed to put all this together? You know, since September, we have been reading the story, which is the story of God and God's people. And as we uh, read it, we are learning the Bible. We're seeing how it applies to our everyday lives. We are uh, we're, we're discovering so far that God's story is quite amazing and sometimes surprising. It's unexpected. And I think it's unexpected that even in the midst of all of God's judgment, of all the way the people are turning away from God and rebelling against God, that God continues to reach out and call his people back. That God's desire is to help his people find their way back. And that is in the midst of ordinary people like you and me being used by God. So here's what I want to do today. We're a little over halfway, right? We're going to take a reading break this week uh, for midwinter, and then we're going to come back in chapter 18. As we begin to turn now, the story turns towards the fulfillment and what God is going to do in bringing about the Messiah. And so I'm going to do something today. I, uh, if, uh, if you haven't yet started with the story this is an awesome time to do it because we're going to begin to uh, join into our Lent services here in a couple weeks, and it's going to, the story's going to line up with, uh, as we get to the resurrection and uh, move on, on from there. So it's a perfect time, if you haven't, to begin. So I have, we, we've gotten rid of 98 uh, books so far, so I'm assuming 98 of you are reading along uh, with the story, either here or online. And now I want to invite someone who hasn't yet started to do so, and I'm going to give you a story. So is there anyone in here? Just raise your hand if you are. Anyone in here who would like a copy of this story? All right, I see two. Well, that's interesting. I happen to have two books because we ordered 100 and 98 are gone. So two, two of them get to go out. If you're online, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet started reading, then go on to your favorite bookseller and get a copy and join us. Start in chapter 18. There you go. Enjoy. All right, I needed some exercise. So how does this all fit? How does this all come together? 
You know, it starts with uh, what we see in the Old Testament. We have to admit, something is terribly wrong, right, with God's people. Something has happened that they, they just continue to rebel against God. So what do we expect when we're not aligning our lives with God's upper story plan to get God's people back? Well, let's just take a snapshot of King Manasseh and see what happens to him. It says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, brought him with, um, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In other words, he's being taken into exile. Exile. That means away from God, away from God's promised land. What do you... Did you... Uh, act, did, as you were reading the story, did you expect anything else? You know, the people of God continue to rebel. They continually turn away. The nation of Israel has already been carried off into captivity. The nation of Judah is struggling, a little good, a lot of bad, until eventually uh, these things are happening. What would we expect? You know, the covenant law describes all the covenant blessings of, of obeying God. It says they will prosper. They will, you know... They will have the Lord's presence and the Lord's protection. Their enemies will never defeat them. They will lead nations to know the one true God. You know, the covenant blessings, we all want the covenant blessings. But the law also describes the covenant curses. If they refuse to obey, then they're going to suffer defeat and they'll be eventually removed from the land of promise, removed from God's presence, taken into exile. So they got what was promised. They deserved it. It was fair, right? You know, when someone does something wrong, uh, especially if they do something wrong to you, you know, if you're like me, you want justice, right? You want uh, the right consequences to be applied to that person. You know, it's not right that people get away with doing wrong because they could just do it again or they could do it again to someone, you know, someone else. So we want justice. And that's what God is doing to Judah. You know, things were taking place according to the law of Moses. Exactly what the covenant said would happen. And it happened just like Moses actually said it would happen. He said that the people would never be able to follow the covenant law. So let me ask you, how is it going for you? Are you keeping all the law of the covenant? Have you ever lied? Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? I still remember that cherry pie that I pilfered from Lang's grocery store. Have you ever used God's name as a swear word? You know, if you have, and I think we've all done something, then it just proves the point of this chapter. There's something wrong with God's people which results in discipline that is brought on by disobedience. And when God's discipline comes, the purpose is not to punish. The purpose is actually to turn us back to the living God. So one of the worst kings of Judah, he did just that. Manasseh actually repented, and he turned to God, and God's mercy and compassion on him foreshadows the future for God's people. 
We read in 2 Chronicles 33, In his distress, he, King Manasseh, sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. So in other words, he makes a 180-degree turn. He completely shifts and turns back to God, and the result is absolutely amazing. It, the passage describes that when he prayed to God, him, the Lord removed, was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea, so he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Manasseh knew that God was God. Finally, he knew God. And now, they, now we think that uh, Judah, now, now they can get on with following God. We can imagine that they've learned this. They, they know God is God. The king's restored. Everything from here on is going to go according to God's plan. They're going to continue in God's blessing. But that's not what happens. Instead, the next king comes along and they turn back away from God. Again and again and again. Something is terribly wrong with God's people. So how bad does it get? Well, of the six remaining kings, there's only one that's good. And so God sends prophets like Jeremiah to Israel, to Judah, to turn them back. But the people, they won't listen. They won't turn back. And things go from bad to worse until the Bible finally says there was nothing left to do. When God says there's nothing left to do, let's read about it. The Lord, the God of our fathers, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Say no remedy. remedy. There was no remedy. God finally raised up the nation of Babylon. They carried Judah off in captivity, and the end had come. Something has gone terribly wrong for God's people. You know, these are the, to be the light to the nations. You know, they were to be blessed to be a blessing. They were to receive all of God's promises. And one day a Messiah is to come from Judah. But now the end has come, and so we ask, what happened? It's the same thing that happens to all of us. You know, we can promise to do good, but then we mess up. We can work really hard to do good, but then we mess up. There's something wrong with us that can't be fixed by rules. You know, human beings are broken inside, and it's the consequence of sin. There's something wrong inside. And the old covenant of the law, you know, the Ten Commandments that we learn, they're not designed to fix the problem. It only reveals the problem. It's important to note. They're not designed to fix you. They're only designed to reveal to you who God is and our need for a Savior. You know, we can deny it, we can rationalize it, we can ignore it, but the problem remains, we have a sin-broken heart. And for Judah, there's no remedy, and the end has come. And yet, at the lowest critical moment, God steps in. When it seems like all is lost, God steps in. When we're unable to do anything about what's wrong with us, God steps in. Turn to the person beside you and tell, tell them, God steps in. Go ahead. God steps in. God steps in with the message of the good news. God fixes our broken heart. And he promises us a new covenant. And Jeremiah foretells it. He says, I, give, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. 
They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. And Ezekiel, he, he talks about it centuries before it happens, when he says, I will give them a new heart. Say new heart. And I will give them a new spirit in you. Say new spirit. So a new heart, a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Let's go back to the snowblower. There's nothing more frustrating than having a snowblower sitting in the garage when the snow is howling outside and it won't start. I can't tell you how many times I pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled, hoping that, you know, out of some kind of freak luck, it would just like boom, boom, boom. But it wouldn't. It didn't. There was no going. There was no spark. It literally pulled until I couldn't anymore. And then I re realized that it actually has a plug-in electric start. So then I plugged it in, and I pushed the button, and it went rrr, 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 until it started to smell a little hot. And <laughs> it still wouldn't start. Everything I tried didn't work. In other words, there was no remedy, and I was back to shoveling snowbanks. It's kind of like living as a Christian without accepting forgiveness. You know, it's futile to think that we can keep the Ten Commandments that are required by the Old Covenant, the law. It's like pulling the starter rope over and over and over and over, but it's pointless because it won't work. The heart is faulty. There's no plug. You know, nobody in the Old Testament kept the law. Nobody. And we can see the disastrous results that came about with Israel. But then the prophets, they describe something new. They talk about a new covenant, a new way, God's plan. They said God is going to remedy this situation. A new spark plug is the only thing that got the snowblower going. The old one had to get pulled out, right? The new one had to get put in. It's like that in the new covenant. The old heart has to come out. The new heart has to go in. God actually replaces our heart with a new one. And this heart is not like the old hard-hearted one. This one actually wants to obey God. Imagine that, a heart that wants to obey God. A heart that desires the things of God. And this is because this heart actually has God, the Holy Spirit, living within it. You know, now it's no longer a list of rules to obey and to break and to be guilty. Now it's a relationship to be lived out day by day. You know, that the, the things that the old covenant described, how to love God and how to love others, is, is actually, now with this new heart, part of who you are. It's actually part of your identity. It's a transformation. The Spirit is doing its work within you. Because the Spirit desires what God desires. The Apostle says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And instead of that guilt, now you have forgiveness. Complete and full. Because the consequences of sin has been already paid by Jesus on the cross. You know, and I'm not sure we actually fully grasp what all that means. We can talk about snowblowers and all that, but 
You know, we've all messed up. We all deserve God's judgment. Just like what we're reading about in the Old Testament. We all deserve exile, being taken away from God's presence and God's promise. But that's not how it works when we put our faith in Christ. Your sin is forgiven. It's just wiped out. You're no longer guilty. I think we need to hear that again. You're no longer guilty. It's as if it never happened. Did you know that we describe the new covenant every time that we come to the communion table and we share the bread and we share the cup? Jesus said these words at the Last Supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus shed his blood and died for our sins. He counted your sins as his. He didn't have any of his own, so he took ours on himself And he paid the price. He was exiled to death so that you might be set free. So that we might not experience the consequence of sin. And it's through the promised Messiah Jesus that our sin is removed. And he has risen to new life, revealing to us that we now have this resurrection life at work within us. And one day it will be fully complete when we are in the presence of of the Lord together. Our sin is gone as far as the east is from the west. Our sin's wiped out and we get a new life. We get a new heart. Say new heart. A new heart. Is that fair? That's God's grace. Do you want it? You already know that it's not just the people in the Bible who mess up. And if you're feeling like you're in the middle of something that is going terribly wrong and you're not sure that there is a way out, let me encourage you that you don't live under the old covenants. You don't live with the curses and the blessings. You live in the new covenant of forgiveness and grace. There's hope for the future, and it's an eternal new life. As we read on, we discover that the story is not over for Judah. And for you, The story is just beginning. If you uh, have on your seat a little card, you can see uh, right here. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then uh, we recognize that there was an old stone heart that has been replaced with a new one. And maybe you recall, and maybe it's important to jot down from time to time, what life was like before uh, trusting in Jesus. What life was like with that old heart? And then maybe jot down a few things of what's changed. What is life like now that you have a new, fresh heart? And then in the middle it says, in progress. And I think this is really important, that the Holy Spirit at work within us, in this new heart, is transforming us into Christ's likeness. The scripture says, the apostle writes, he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed. That means being changed into His image, Christ's image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, this describes this work in progress. And maybe there's a few things in your life that don't really seem to line up with what it means to walk with God. 
but, but, but you're seeing some God at work in those. I invite you to maybe write those down in the middle. Two or three things where you are a work in progress, where you're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And then hang this on your mirror or in your car or somewhere where you can see it as a reminder that you are cooperating with the Holy Spirit in your life to, to do that work that God is doing. Now I want to talk to some of you today here or online that may not have made that choice yet to follow Jesus. You might be trying to live according to the Old Testament covenant and finding that is just not working. And oftentimes when we do that, the result is that we want to just give up and walk away. Let me encourage you not to do that, but instead to look at it a new way. That you need to live in the new covenant that you need to receive a new heart, a heart that isn't just trying to overcome things that you know you'll never be able to do, but instead a heart that desires now to walk with God. You need a heart transplant, and you can have that by faith in Jesus, by simply trusting in the promised Messiah and giving your life to Christ. So if you need a new heart today, if you're ready to receive that new heart, then I invite you to trust by faith. Simply invite Jesus in. And I'm not going to invite you necessarily to come up here and do that. I'm just going to invite you wherever you are, at home today or maybe here, to simply pause, to look to God and ask for his forgiveness. And we do it in a simple prayer. If that's you, pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I know that I need a new heart. Lord, please give me one. A heart that desires you. And Lord, send your Holy Spirit to live in me and to begin that work of transformation. It is my desire to know you, God, and to love you and love others. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I invite you to rise as we sing.